Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1. We taught the first part of this chapter down to verse 11. Down to verse 11. We thought we'd just go ahead and teach this book of 2 Timothy, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So we'll pick up with verse 12. But let's notice verse 11 to introduce ourselves to the 12th verse. It says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And we talked about Paul's position, his call, his ministry there. And then it says, For for the which cause I also suffer these things. He's mentioning the fact that what he suffered he was doing for the sake of his ministry and for the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these things that he was suffering happened to be that we believe he was in the Roman prison for the second time at this particular time. Because when you get to the fourth chapter, he speaks of his departure. And he says, I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Remember in the fourth chapter? He says, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And he says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me uh, at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. So we know that he was speaking of his soon departure out of this life. But he's instructing young Timothy as to his uh, responsibility in the ministry. And I want us to notice here in verse 12 again, For the which cause I also suffer these things. And Timothy knew what he was talking about. He speaks earlier in verse 8, Be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. He speaks of the fact that he is a prisoner in that same verse. But he says, I suffer these things. Verse 12, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. He was not ashamed of his sufferings. He was not ashamed of his afflictions. He was not ashamed of his ministry. And he certainly was not ashamed. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And he says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I want you to notice what he says. For I know whom I have believed. The word know is not experimental knowledge. It comes from the Greek word O-I-D-A. In fact, Strong puts it E-I-D-O. But it's an absolute knowledge. It's beyond all doubt, a knowledge of what God is in himself. And so he says, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed in him against that day. God's knowledge or knowledge of God. And Paul knew that. It's much like John in 1 John chapter 5, when John says in his epistle of 1 John, I believe it's verse 13, he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Now listen. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. What is he saying there? I have written. In other words, the Word of God is given, John says, what he had written previous in 1 John to help you to know that you have eternal life. So what is is this knowledge that we're talking about? It's based upon God's Word. And that's why that John says, as well as Paul here, that these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know. It was written that you may know. And so Paul is as well 
latching on to the fact that we know because of what God has said. And this is a knowledge that's absolute and beyond all doubt. So it says, I'm not ashamed of the God, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Believing is man's responsibility in the matter of salvation. The keeping is what God does. He says, I'm persuaded. This was a settled position of the Apostle Paul. He was convinced and had come to the conclusion that God would a- was able to keep what he had committed unto him, th- the salvation of his soul. To keep or to guard, to defend, and to keep watch. It has all of these thoughts. He is, he's able to keep, that he's able to guard that which I've committed unto him. That he's able to defend it. That he's able to keep watch over it, as a garrison would keep watch over something that was given charge of. So, we find that uh, the Apostle Paul was assured of his soul's salvation. He knew he was saved because of what God had said. And he said, I know whom I have believed. For it was his part, as yours and mine, to believe the gospel. And it was God's part to keep those who believe. So how did Paul know that he was saved? Because God said so. He said, if you believe it, I'm going to keep you. You have salvation. And you can know that you have salvation. And you can know that I'm going to uh, defend it. And that uh, nothing's going to happen to you. Of an adverse way. In an adverse way. It's just like Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1. Beginning with verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen carefully. Who has begotten us again unto a lively hope, or a living hope, begotten again, born again, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen. Unto an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So, uh, not only does John agree with Paul here that we've already quoted, 1 John 5, verse 13, but also Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 is what we just studied. So, he says, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, against the day of judgment, against the day when death should come and we should go out into eternity, whichever comes first. If we die before the Lord comes and before we face a judgment. And by the way, there's only the judgment seat of Christ for the Christian. Not that great white throne judgment where all the wicked dead shall stand before God. But we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And in fact, in the fourth chapter, he says to Timothy, he will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. That's in verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. So, uh, you and I have the promise that when what we've committed unto the Lord, He's going to keep against a day of judgment or at the time of our death. And when we depart to be with Him, we're going to be safe and secure. You know, as a believer, you can go through this life always doubting and always worrying and always saying, well, you know, I hope I make it. Or, you know, God promised that I would make it. And uh, I believed on Him. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure I, I have to do certain works or hold on uh, faithful to the end or hold fast. Well, all of these things are good and we should hold fast our testimony and be steadfast 
and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And we should also have good works. But none of these, uh, not any of these things will add any merit to our qualification or uh, surety of salvation. It's just something that we ought to do and we probably will do if we're truly born again. But on the other hand, our salvation depends totally upon what Jesus has done for us and not anything that we have done for ourselves. If we could have saved ourselves, well, then He'd left it up to us to begin with. Why, why would Jesus come down from heaven and die on the old rugged cross and shed His blood and give His life to redeem us to God if it was not absolutely necessary and the only essential that would provide for us salvation? So, um, anyway, we're persuaded that He's able to keep that which we... Com- I've committed to him against that day. Now look at verse 13. We just take it verse by verse and expound as much as we can or some things that we can on each verse. Look at verse 13. He says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. The sound words is what he's just talked about. The sound words that Paul knew about in verse 12. You ought to take uh, those sound words and tie it with what's gone before, and then we'll certainly tie it with what comes after. The sound words is what all he's taught uh, all through this first chapter of Second Timothy. And we've studied a lot of things that we should hold fast to. Look at verse 9, if you will. It says, Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. He says, hold that fast. And then verse 10, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Someone says, well, how has he abolished death? Well, as far as the Christian is concerned, death is is only a door into heaven. It's the passing of this life that's true. And to be absent from this body is to be what? Present with the Lord. And so it's a passing from one state to another and from this life to the eternity, to uh, eternal life with the Lord. All right, let's get back to this verse 13. Hold fast the form of sound words, and we could go into all the details that we've just studied, which thou hast heard of me in what he had taught uh, Timothy. He says, in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And he says, that good thing, what? Circle good thing and then go up in verse 13 and tie it to sound words. That's the good thing he's talking about. That good thing which was committed unto thee. Paul had committed these sound words to Timothy. He says unto thee, keep, keep. Well, how is Timothy as a man going to keep him? Keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Paul knew that Timothy would need God's power to keep true to them. To this truth. You cannot keep on within yourself. You have to have divine power to help you keep that which is committed unto you. And it says, by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. Holy Spirit dwells in us. And has dwelt in us ever since we were saved. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 13, in whom, listen carefully, in whom ye also trusted... After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, or upon believing, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. 
which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Verse 14, unto the praise of His glory. So, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit upon believing. And then Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not, you and I are not to grieve. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So we are sealed, and the Holy Spirit dwelleth in us. Now look at verse 15. This thou knowest. Now, Paul is going to remind Timothy of, of uh, some sad things about his ministry and the companionship that he had. But look in verse 15. It says, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Look at how many people turned away from Paul. He was in prison now, and they turned away from him. They wouldn't stand by him. You know, a lot of people will stand by you when everything is going fine and rosy. Isn't that true? But Paul was put in prison. Now about to lose his life. Now about to be executed. Because of his stand, because of his firm stand for the gospel. And what did his friends do? Turned away from him. We call that, in our modern terms, what? Fair weather friends, isn't it? Yeah, fair weather friends. But then you have friends that will stick by you when you're in trouble, when you're in need. Those are the real friends. The real friends will stand by you when you need someone to stand by you. And Paul is reminding Timothy. And I'm sure that he's showing Timothy this for more, more than one reason. Not just for self-pity for himself. But he's showing Timothy what he might have to endure as well if he stands true and holds fast these sound words and takes his stand like Paul had taken. He's showing him what he might have to face. You see, Paul knew that he was not the only one that had to face up to standing for the Word of God. And even in his situation, he was trying to encourage Timothy and at least prepare him for what may be ahead. You and I would be foolish if we did not prepare others that follow us for what they might have to face. And we don't know what people will have to face in the near future, in the, in, in the long, distant future, but in the near future, uh, it seems like that we can make it for a while. But in the distant future, things may come that are so far beyond our control or uh, ability to even deal with that that it, it will take divine intervention for us to be protected. And we don't know what's going to happen. But he says, uh, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes, two that were specially known to Timothy. And he says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, Onesiphorus, as some say. And that's probably a better way to pronounce it. For he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. Here's one that stood by him. Here's one that said, I'll go find out where Paul is. You know, some people may say, well, you know, I know Paul's in trouble and I'm not going to turn against him. But here's one that sought him out and said, he sought out his welfare. He... he he made it an effort to go and see about Paul. And he says, The Lord give mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently. He made an effort to find me and found me. Someone might drive by and say, Well, I looked and they wasn't at home. When you seek someone out diligently, you'll make more than one little effort to do what you're supposed to do. Won't you? 
diligently has to do with a little determination too, doesn't it? He sought me out diligent. Very diligent. And it says in verse 18, The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. He was reminding Timothy of what all this one particular one did for him. Now let's look in the second chapter, if you will. Paul says, Thou therefore... The word therefore means because of all that I've already written in this letter, this first chapter here that we've read, he says, therefore, and we could go back and discuss each and every detail of what he had admonished him in. There, therefore, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He knew that he needed strength. And he knew that this strength would only come as God would provide it for him in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We need to be strong in the grace. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, look at this, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. What is Paul saying here? There were many witnesses, I'm sure time and again before others, but especially he's talking about Possibly uh, Timothy's ordination. When there were witnesses to Timothy's call to the ministry. These witnesses. You know, most of us, brethren, that have been ordained and as far as the gospel is concerned, can remember that ordination council that was gathered around us and how they would shoot questions at you from every angle and find out what you believed and what you didn't believe and expose anything that was wrong. And I'm telling you, that's quite an experience. And when you go through that, you know you've been through the mill. And uh, what uh, Paul had given Timothy, maybe he gave I'm sure he charged him, because we find that in the fourth chapter, he says, I charge thee, he charged him again. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he gave him a charge there. In fact, that's what got me on to Second Timothy. I was going to just preach that charge that Paul gave to Timothy, and I decided to just teach the whole, uh, whole of the book, Second Timothy. But I'm sure that Paul had made known exactly what Timothy should stand for, and he's telling him that the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. So I take it from that that Paul is the one that gave him the charge as to what uh, he needed to stand for and what Paul believed and so on and so forth. Among many witnesses. Now notice he says, and not only the witnesses there, let me just stop there a moment and say that from time to time there were many others that had witnessed what Paul had given to Timothy. Not just on the ordination, but when people would be gathered together and Paul would be teaching and preaching. So there were like a congregation or like maybe a few or many. And so he's calling... All these things to Timothy's remembrance. And what is he saying here? He says, The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. He says, What you've heard and what you've been established in and what you've heard of me, I want you to be able to commit to faithful men who, will be able, who shall be able to teach others also. Do you know that all of us, not only preachers, but especially preachers, but all of us as Christians, have a responsibility to commit the truth that we have of the gospel to someone else so that they can carry it on after we're gone. We have a responsibility to do that. 
And it should be every preacher's desire to pass on to the congregation and to those that listen to him the scriptural truths of God's Word so that they will be able to do it after he's gone. And that's my desire. My desire is that after I'm gone from this life, that there will be some in this church that will have heard some of the things that I've said and that will stand fast in them and give them to others so that the church will continue on with the foundation that it has these 45 years. And you know we haven't had to change our colors all, all this time. We still believe the same thing we believed the first day that we had the first service. There's a lot of people that change with every wind of doctrine, as Paul said to the Ephesians, didn't he? He said, Be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men whereby they lie and wait to deceive. That's Ephesians 4, verse 14. And he says, Don't be children anymore. Grow up. Grow up in spiritual things. Be no more babes. But desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. But then as Paul says in Bruce chapter 5, he said that for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and have become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For he says everyone that has to be fed with milk is weak, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So grow up and eat strong meat. Solid food is what he was talking about there. Milk is for babes, isn't it? And strong meat is for more mature people. And I trust that we have some here that can endure strong meat as it is preached and taught. So what is he saying here? The things which thou that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men. What kind of men need to hear this? Men that will be that are faithful and will be faithful. Look in the book of let's see, First Corinthians, if you will, chapter First Corinthians chapter four and verse one and two. Paul says this let a man so account of us as the as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He says, let a man account of us as this way. And he says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You see that? So, Paul is telling Timothy to commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, let's notice. Hold your place in 2 Timothy chapter 2 where we're teaching, please. Hold your place there. Because if I don't get to chasing too many rabbits, I'll come back to it sooner or later. So, it says, who shall be able to teach others also. Now then, in verse 3, from verses 3 through 6, he gives us three illustrations. First of all, of a strong teacher. I mean, yeah, a strong teacher is what we just discussed. A strong teacher. Now then, he gives us something else. Uh, In verse 3, a strong soldier, a strong soldier. Now, notice what he says here. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So, this young preacher, Timothy, was to learn to endure hardness as a good soldier. Remember, we used to sing the songs about soldiers, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Soldiers. We're in an army, and we're not... You know, there's couple of kinds of soldiers. Those that go to battle, 
And then you have those that, that want to put on the dress uniforms and parade up and down the, the field to the drums and all the music. That's parade soldiers. And you know, most everyone that's been in the service has to have a dress parade. But then there's a time you go out to battle, right? And so we, we're like in the battle. And we need to be in the forefront of it. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Are we just going to be dress soldiers or are we going to be armed soldiers? There's a lot of people like that pomp and that glory of marching in the parade and having all, everybody stand out there in the audience and, and the, the group and clap their hands at how beautiful they went through their exercises. That's fine. It's good. That's the way you're trained. But on the other hand, there comes a time that you put on those uh, fighting clothes and get out on the battlefield. And by the way, brethren, don't, do not forget to pray for all of our military over in Iraq and other parts of the world too. Doesn't make any difference where you are. If you're in, if you're in some form of the defense of our country, whatever branch of the service it is, you're in danger. And so pray for them. All right, as a good soldier. And the next thing he says, look here in verse 4. No man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You have to go by the rules. You cannot entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. Now, as preachers, many times, many of us have had to work with our hands to make a living. But to, to go out and get in every kind of business just for... The sake of money is not the best thing for us, is it? There are certain things we have to do in order to earn a living. You know, Paul was a tent maker at one time, wasn't he? And he had to work with his hands. He says, I work with my own hands. But on the other hand, the more we can realize that we have one primary purpose, and that is to preach God's Word. We had to work in contracting here for about 18, 20 years. Finally, the church got large enough that, and prosperous enough they could pay us a salary and thank God for that. There was a time that He wasn't so, but I'm thankful for it now. And I trust that the Lord will continue to prosper our church. And I believe that part of the reason is that we want to spread the gospel and send out our missionaries and, and all that we do. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now look in verse 5. And if a man also strive for the masteries, Paul probably brings in the thought of the Olympics here, or other games, Greek games. Yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. A strong athlete. First he had a strong teacher in verse 2, and a strong soldier in verse 3 and 4. And a strong athlete in verse 5. So man strive for the masteries, yet he is not crowned, is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? You go by the rules. And he's not crowned. I think that uh, someone has said, I think they had to have at least 10 months of uh, preliminary training, uh, not only the exercise and the things they went through to, to prepare for, the, for some uh, feat in the Olympics. But also they had to be on certain strict diets and etc. in order to have that training. And if you didn't go by the rules, you didn't make it. And we need to go by the rules. God has laid down the rules for our striving for masteries. We do it according to His Word. 
there's a lot of people that don't do not follow God's word in their efforts to serve the Lord. They follow anything that comes along and anything the world has to offer, and therefore uh, they're not going to. You say, well, it seems that they're prospering in what they're doing. Well, it's worldly prosperity if it is, but God's word tells us how to strive and strive lawfully. We cannot break every fundamental principle of God's word and expect expect God to bless it. And yet there are many that do. There's all kinds of things used in the Christian ministry today that, that I cannot endorse myself, and I hope a lot of you can't endorse it. You say, well, they get the big crowds. So what? Big crowds are not everything. You know what Jesus said about judging the outside outward appearance of things? He said this. He said, listen carefully. If you want a measuring rod, a measuring stick, to see whether it measures up to Jesus or not, he says, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. If the whole world's going for it, you can rest assured it's not of the Lord. You say, well, preacher, I know a lot of uh, great programs in the world that are just looks like they're prospering uh, every day. Well, it may look like it, but does it please God? You know, when we first organized this church, I had, had in my mind and heart that whatever group we could get together to hear the preaching of the Word, that we'd try to teach and preach God's Word to them. And I never dreamed God would bless us so that we'd have more than enough. I'm not going to ask you to do anything improper in order to get someone to the house of God. I'm going to ask you to invite them and pray that God will move upon their hearts. And when the Holy Spirit opens a door for you to witness to someone, that you will do that and take advantage of that opportunity. Many times I look back and I had opportunity and I say, why didn't I talk to that person then? Because the door was open and I had an opportunity. And I regret it. Do you do that? Do you ever come in those situations? Many times. But let's try to be more alert and more mindful of the opportunity that we have. Once it's gone, you can't turn it back, can you? It's kind of like Peter, James, and John went into the garden with Jesus and they went to sleep. And Jesus said, could you not watch with me one hour? And I, I imagine that after all that situation was over, that Peter and James and John felt very bad because they would not uh, stay alert and bear part of the burden that Jesus was bearing. But the time was gone. They went to sleep on the job, didn't they? And you and I do many times. And we fail. And I'm sure they left a recalled or called back that moment and said, I'll prod myself everywhere in the world. I'll uh, rally my every fiber of my being to stay awake while Jesus is in such agony. But they never had another opportunity. And opportunities pass us day by day that we cannot recall and redo. You say, when? Right now. Right now. You can have opportunity to speak a good word to someone. To show your kindness, your love, your concern, your prayer. Boy, if we could get this business of living the Christian life real deep down in our hearts, wouldn't it make a difference? Make a difference all over. Alright? What does it say here? And if a man strive for the masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. And we must strive lawfully. According to God's Word, according to His counsel, according to His guidance, according to the leadership of His Holy Spirit. Remember in the book of Acts where Philip 
went from where he was preaching in a revival, so to speak, and having a lot of success, he went down and God says, you go into this place that is called desert. You go to the desert now. He went down there. And what did he find? He saw a fellow coming down and riding in a chariot. And the Spirit says, go join yourself to this chariot. And it says, Philip ran. When the Holy Spirit tells us to do something, we said, well... I don't know. might be alright and it might not. But Philip ran, didn't he? He joined himself that chariot. And this eunuch was reading the prophet from the prophet Isaiah. And as he read it, what? Philip said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he says, How can I except some man should guide me? I need a teacher. I need someone to tell me what this is all about. And Philip began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He was reading the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. He began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. You and I have opportunities. Are we reluctant to do what God wants us to do? Are we willing to go ahead and do what God wants us to do? And do it in a way that pleases Him. Notice in verse uh, 6 now, you have a strong athlete in verse 4 and 5, and now what do you have in verse 6? You have... A husbandman. The husbandman that laboreth must first, must be first partaker of the fruits. You have a fellow that's a farmer or a vineyard owner, but he's a husbandman. And in laboring first, he's put his labor, he's plowed the field, he's planted the crop, and the time of harvest comes. He has a right to the first of that harvest. He must be first partaker of the fruits. Then he says... Uh, by the way, this is a hard-working farmer. Let me give you four things here. We had a strong teacher in verse 2. We had a strong soldier in verse 3 and 4. And we have a strong athlete in verse 5. And then we have a hard-working farmer in verse 6. The husbandman that labored must be first partaker of the fruits. In verse 7 he says, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. We'll have to conclude with that verse. Uh, Paul wants Timothy to consider, and he wants God to give him understanding. But we'll pick up with verse 8 in our next lesson. The Lord willing. Chapter 2, verse 8. Thank you for your patience.